42 through 47. And I love that verse because just like those little flowers, when we do what God's asked us to do, we will bloom, we will grow. And not only will we grow and, and open, we will grow deep, our roots will grow deep, and we will, we will have things in our life like accountability and love and direction and involvement and intentionality and all these great words that I like to use. And that's what happens when, when we as individuals bloom, God's kingdom blooms. And when God's kingdom blooms, His, his word and, and His love and His grace and His mercy is, is blooming with it. And, it. and that's how that first song we sang about change this atmosphere, that's how we change the atmosphere of the world that we live in. It is as individuals, I say every Sunday at the end of church, it's time that we, uh, it's time to go to win and commit to grow. That, that commit to grow part is you as an individual Christian saying, you know what, I want to bloom, I want to grow in God's word. And when we do that, and as individuals, and then we come together as a group, now there's a whole, a whole, uh, I almost said a flock, but that's not the right word. There's like a whole just garden of blooming Christians of love and grace and mercy. And then it goes out of this building and we continue on our own to commit to grow. And as we're growing, that's where we're doing that wind part because we're, we're growing from a spiritual infant into a spiritual adult. And as we do that, we go from that place. I love babies, but I'm going to tell you this. Babies are selfish. They're the most selfish thing God ever created. You know it's true. Oh, what do they do? They cry. What's with that? Man, they want, it's all about them. I want a pacifier. I want food. I want, I want a bottle. I want, it's my toy. It's my blanket. I want my diaper changed. Things you don't always hear at church on Sunday. Uh, you know, that's, that's what, because babies are selfish. And, and listen, I got to tell you this. Um, as new Christians, as baby Christians, we're selfish. We're infants in Christ, but we're still self. We're like, you know, it was fun, but I didn't really like that song. I want it to be different. But as you grow in Christ, as you bloom, you realize that, hey, you don't have to like the songs because we're not singing them to you. See, we're singing them to God. They're not about you. When we sing all God's people say amen, it's, we're not saying all Joe's people say amen or, or all Rick's people say amen. or You know, it's not what we're doing. It's so we're not worshiping you. We're worshiping God. See, it's not for you. It's for him. It's our expression to him. And so you learn that as you grow spiritually and as we bloom, as we grow, that's what happens. And, and these really cool things happen. And today I'm going to talk about two of my favorite things from, and I'll say this next week because next week will be a favorite thing too. But, but today they're my favorites. We're going to talk about fellowship and we're going to talk about the breaking of bread. And we're really going to dig into that. And we're going to, we're going to get a little deep on the fellowship part because there's more to it than, than what it seems at surface level. So I want to give you a heads up. If you're, if you're taking some notes, I'm going to throw out some verses and some scriptures. Get ready to write those down. Um, but I want to start out with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And, and this is talking about the, the new church, the early church, just after the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were baptized. And shortly after that, this is what they did. Okay, this is how they bloomed. This is how they grew individually and, and how God's kingdom expanded immensely in a short amount of time. It says, and they devoted themselves, that's the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I like that. And the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay? They devoted themselves to certain things. The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And then later, it says again that, um, that they... Uh, I lost my place already. Um, that they, they, they got together every day and, and they sold their possessions, their belongings, distributing proceeds, praising God and having favor with all the people. They did these great things. But I want to start with fellowship. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. So what exactly does that mean? Is that like the, the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring? You know, it's not exactly what they're talking about here. But I want to tell you, the first account of the New Testament church highlights the importance of fellowship. Okay, Luke describes for us in Acts this body of believers newly formed on the day of Pentecost, and they are people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching, they're devoted to the fellowship, they're devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And Luke says this, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. All right, There's some key words here. Devoted is one of them. They didn't just have fellowship. It wasn't just like, hey, Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good, John. How are you? Oh, great. All right. Pat on the back. We just had fellowship. No. They devoted themselves to it. See, it's kind of like fellowship is kind of like marriage. When you get married, you're devoting yourself to one another. They devoted, they were devoted to the fellowship. That means they were committed to each other. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to talk to you on Sunday morning and then I'm going to head out. I'm not going to see you again until next Sunday. No, I mean, somewhere in the middle of the week, somebody should be calling you and saying, hey, Gil, Rita, how you doing? Hey, Don, how you doing? And you should be calling people, other people. Hey, how are you doing? Devoted. We are devoted to each other. They didn't just show up for a moment. They were devoted. They were involved in everybody's life. It says daily they went to the temple together. Daily they were in people's homes. I know you're thinking, oh, I can't entertain people every day. They weren't entertaining. They were just eating. They were just surviving. They were fellowshipping. They were devoted to caring for one another. And you know what the Bible says? They bloomed. They grew. They gave fellowship a priority in their lives along with prayer, along with hearing the Word of God taught. Consider this, what the Apostle John wrote to fellow Christians in, John, in 1 John 1.3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. May we have fellowship with us or may have fellowship with us. You see, it, it wasn't Christian growth that John was concerned about. Yeah, he wanted the believers to have assurance of their salvation. He wanted believers to walk in obedience to God's commands, but he was really concerned about fellowship. Fellowship with one another, fellowship with God. So why is he concerned about fellowship? Especially when we fast forward to today, us modern day Christians, we should be concerned about fellowship. Many churches, many, many facilities, if you will, have a specific room for fellowship. We have the Fellowship Bay. We have a fellowship hall. We have the fellowship building. Doesn't mean that's the only place it can happen, folks. <laughs> okay? Christian ministries on college campuses, they sponsor fellowship events. They describe a time of food, fun, and fellowship. It's just like those early believers, though. We should be eager. We should be eager to devote ourselves to fellowship. There's only one problem. 
and this is just my opinion, and I'll always tell you the difference between my opinion and what the Bible says, but in my opinion, I think that throughout God's kingdom here on earth, we have lost sight of the biblical meaning of fellowship. I would even be so bold as to say that we sometimes are devoting ourselves to the wrong things, thinking that it's fellowship. You see, fellowship, as the Bible describes it, it's much more than just a Christian social activity. It's more than just food or playing games in a Christian atmosphere. It's more than, than an ice cream event or chatting with one another about the events of the past week. Um, and I'm not saying there's no place for those things. It's just that they're not true fellowship. Okay, um, One of the reasons I think we've lost track of fellowship is because of social media. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, um, whatever else. There, there's all kinds of other little things like that. And, and, and I, I think that we, we get involved with those things. We get in, involved in conversations online and in social media, and we think, oh, I just spent time fellowshipping with all my friends. I've got, got a thousand friends on Facebook and three friends in real life. But we count that Facebook stuff as, as fellowship. And I'll tell you this. Sometimes we make Jesus sad. We haven't been fellowshipping well this last week on social media. I've seen the things that people have posted. Um, I've seen the things that some of you have posted, and, and they're not good. Um, there are better ways to share your opinions with people, privately, publicly, and on the interweb, than the way that some of you, and not just you, I don't mean you all, but I mean like, you all Christians and any Christians that are listening online or anybody else that hears this at some point, sometimes we do a very poor job of what we think is fellowship online because we get so caught up in thinking we're right or wanting to be right that we come across being jerks. That does not... When I read Acts 2, 42-46, there was nothing in there about state your opinion, make sure you're always right, put it out there no matter what, and let people know that's not how we bloom. That's how you offend. That's how you hurt feelings. That's how you completely turn people away from Jesus Christ. And that's not what he's called us to do. Okay? You don't have to agree with the opinions, with the laws, with the things that our government votes into place, but you have the ability to change it by the way you vote the next time. All right? And I'm not going to get political up here, but I'm going to tell you, Christians worldwide, we need to be careful what we're saying on these social media platforms where people think we're fellowshipping because we're being ugly. God doesn't need us to be ugly. This is not ugly. This is beautiful. Where I preached Friday night to a group of men. I said, we're made in God's image. And you know, what? when we're not taking care of our families, we're not, we're not being beautiful. We're not being what God's called us to do. And when we walk out of this door and we say ugly things about stuff, that doesn't help Jesus anywhere. And so I want to challenge you guys. It's not about what's right or what's wrong. God doesn't need us to fight certain battles. He needs us to love people and introduce them to Jesus Christ. That's what God needs from us. And we need to do it with love. We can have disagreements, okay? Not everybody's going to like the shirt I wear, but you know what? I don't care because my wife likes it. And when she said, hey, put this on today, I like it. I was like, okay. And we're having lunch later. She's at another church, by the way. My buddy Aaron Warnick has celebrated 20 years in ministry down at Piney Grove. And so her and Dylan went down there to celebrate because they grew up together and stuff. So, but we're having a lunch date. So I'm going to look good. 
point is this. There's no place for ugly things. It's not true fellowship. There are some things we can do well and they may contribute to fellowship, but in and of themselves, they're not fellowship. And I think, I think there's a deeper and richer meaning to the biblical concept of fellowship. You see, when we say let's get together for some fellowship, we need to be looking for an opportunity more than just to eat ice cream. We need to have an opportunity during that fellowship time. We need to be saying to somebody, hey, how's God working in your life? Where are things at? Where are my newlyweds? I got any newlyweds in the building? Any newlyweds? Any newlyweds? Be proud if you're newlywed. Oh, newlyweds. Hey, how's God doing in your marriage so far? Awesome. Amen. See, that's what we want. All right. Any one year anniversaries anywhere? One year and oh, anniversary, one year. Hey, how's God doing in your marriage? Do you see him working in your life? Do you see him doing stuff in your life from the people around you? That's how it should be. That's what I'm talking about. That's little Hannah. I've known her since she was like six years old, and now she had her one year wedding anniversary, and I feel old. Stop it. That's her brother. We don't talk to him much. Uh, But seriously, when we're together, don't just say, hey, what's your favorite ice cream? What's your favorite football team? What's your favorite whatever? Say, hey, what's God doing in your life, Joe? Where's he working? How? Show me something. Let's talk about some fruit. Let's talk about good things. Listen, we should be looking to share with each other something we've learned from the Bible. We should be looking at how we can encourage each other. There's, there's various uses of the word fellowship. And in the Greek, it's, I'm probably going to mess this up, it's, Koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. And, and it conveys two related meanings. One of them is to share together in the sense of joint participation, of partnership. So that, so that word koinonia is, is like a partnership in, in fellowship. See, it's, it goes back to that they were devoted to fellowship. It was a partnership they were devoted to. And that partnership was called life. All right? Um, and the other is to share within the sense of, of giving what we have to others, which goes back to that whole, they sold their stuff because of the koinonia. They sold their stuff and they gave it away. They shared this sense of giving what they had to others. The first one refers primarily to a relationship that we as believers should have in Christ. And it's that fellowship that, that John talked about that I read in, verse, in 1 John uh, verse 1 through 3, that that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, true fellowship is, is sharing a common life with other believers. A life that, that we share together with God, with the Father and, and God the Son. I like to say that true Christian fellowship is a relationship, not an activity. All right? I love hanging out with people. We do, as a church, we do fellowship. And I think we do fellowship really well. We do stuff on, on uh, Resurrection Sunday. We do stuff at Thanksgiving. We do things at Christmas. We do pop-up fellowships, which are one of my favorite things, where we just surprise you and go, hey, we're having popcorn today. And you're like, okay, I love popcorn. And, but I love fellowship, but there's more to it. All right? And, and so true fellowship, it's relationship. Now, we do those things here at Huntsville Christian Church, and we believe they're vital to what we do because when we provide an atmosphere for fellowship and the only common ground we have is Jesus, now we've got that opportunity for relationships to build. And so what starts as maybe an activity, oh, we're going to have a fellowship meal or we're going to have a pop-up fellowship or we're going to do something for fellowship, now it becomes a relationship, all right? And so those first Christians in Acts chapter 2, 
well, they weren't just in Acts chapter 2, but the, first, the early Christians were not just devoting themselves to ice cream socials and carrying dinners and things like that. They were devoting themselves to a relationship with one another, a relationship that consisted of sharing the very life of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's kind of how our CPR groups are designed to work, all right? If, if we do CPR groups well at Huntsville Christian Church, and that's, it's our Christ-promoting relationships, if we do our CPR groups, our small groups, we do those well, you will come real close to putting myself and Andy and the elders out of a job, out of one of our jobs, okay? One of those jobs is shepherding. We're to shepherd the flock. We're to check in on people to make sure everybody's okay. But if we're doing CPR groups well, if, if our CPR groups are fellowshipping well with one another, and someone gets sick in a CPR group, we'll be the last people to know instead of the first. Because the other eight or ten people in your group are going to be the ones at your house. Hey, we brought you this food because we knew you had surgery. Hey, some of the men from that group, they're going to be the ones sitting with you. And I'm going to come in later and somebody's going to go, Hey, did you know that Joe was having surgery? No, I didn't. Oh, his CPR group took care of it. Whoa, that's awesome. That's, that's that fellowship. That's that relationship. That's that partnership. They were devoting themselves to a relationship. And that's, that's the, kind of the premise of, of how those CPR groups are working. If we do them well, some really cool things can happen in this community. The early church understood they had entered this relationship because of Jesus Christ. Not by simply placing membership to the organization. They, they didn't all stand up after they were baptized and, and like, oh, I'm now committing myself to the Antioch church and I'm committing myself to whatever little church. But they, they made that the, the membership was huge. And I like to say that um, with membership comes privileges. <laughs> but I don't like calling, when people join a church, I don't like calling it membership. I like it calling it partnership. I like calling it this, this koinonia word. All right, because because membership to me seems more like like we're joining a gym or we're joining like a wholesale club or something. And that's not what this is. This is when, when someone partners with Huntsville Christian Church, when you come forward, and you're like, hey, it's simple. We ask you to do a couple things. One, you say, I believe Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm going to serve him in this community with these people. That's it. All right. But you coming forward and doing that and saying that is is now you're also saying to everybody that's listening, hey, you get to be in fellowship with me. And with my family, you get to come alongside me. And when I'm messing up with my son, uh, these other men who have had kids much, long, much longer than 16 years can come alongside me and go, hey, when my kid was 16 and he did this, this was the way we handled it. And I'm going to find wisdom in that. All right. That's, that's partnership. That's fellowship. That's what, like that church membership, we all have something we can do here. And so w- when we talk about membership here, it's more about that fellowship, that community, um, and so the early church, through their union with Christ, they were formed into this spiritually generous community where they cared for each other, where they were involved with each other. They were sharpening each other. They were encouraging each other. They were helping wherever they could. If we miss the fact that koinonia denotes, first of all, a community relationship in Christ among the believers, then we miss what I think is one of the most significant aspects of true biblical fellowship. We need to grasp the idea that fellowship means not only do we belong to Christ, but we belong to one another within the body of Christ, along with all the privileges and care for each other and and responsibilities that a fellowship relationship requires of us. We get to be concerned about each other. When when, when, uh, just this last weekend, we were at the the camp in Mississippi and we were working and I saw a, a brother in Christ. His name is Mike Fight. And he was like, Fat Rock. It is great to see you mobile. 
the last three or four times he saw me, I was walking with a cane, my feet were all messed up, and, and he was like, man, I've been praying for you, and you're, there's no cane. How your feet feel? How you doing? I'm like, man, I'm doing great, Mike. And he's like, that's it. That's, a, that's fellowship. That's, that's that word. I only see Mike about four times a year. But when he's like, man, I've been praying for you. And he, he, he even sent me a text. He goes, it was great. And I love it because it fits perfect with this whole message. He sent me a text last night about 1030, which I didn't get till this morning because I already sleep. But he said, I enjoyed the time of fellowship and working with the guys from Huntsville Christian Church. And then he went on to say, and by the way, little AJ is awesome. So well done, you guys. Um, but, but it was just it was refreshing because it was just like it was just that's what it was. That text message was this, everything I'm talking about. He, he didn't even go to church here, but he's in God's kingdom. And, and he does things according to this. He's blooming. And, and he's, he's encouraging me to bloom. So we need to grasp the idea that fellowship means that we belong to one another. Not just within these walls. Worldwide. Next week when I talk about um, prayer, I'll be talking about my friend Kuda Kwashe over in Zimbabwe. And some of the stuff that he and I have had conversation about through WhatsApp and that kind of stuff. And it's like, just because we're here, I still have this great relationship with my brother. A 22-hour plane ride away. But when we, when we belong to one another in the body of Christ, and we take care, and we take up those privileges, and that was the thing. You read, they sold, and they sold their possessions, and they met needs. They counted that a privilege. Bringing, bringing a gift... Well, there was one family where they brought a gift and it was more of a work. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, and they, they brought their gift and they kind of lied about it. And that was, that was work on their part. It didn't go out too well for them. But for the most part, that community of Christians in the early church saw it as a privilege to take care of each other, to love each other, to eat with each other, to pray with each other. We should see it as a privilege too. It should never be a burden when your brother in Christ gives you a call and says, hey, can I stop by? Don't do the, well, Mar- Mar- Martha hadn't cleaned the house yet, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a mess. At the end of the day, nobody cares that you have dishes in your sink. Okay? Nobody cares what you know. They want to know that you care. And when we care, that's what people are concerned about. We get these privileges to care for each other. This Greek word for fellowship, it means to share in a sense of partnership. And the neat thing about this part of the word is classical Greek writers and New Testament writers use this word to refer to a partnership, a business partnership even. And Luke used a form of it to refer to the partnership of Peter with James and John in the fishing business. In Luke chapter 5, verse 10, you can write that down and go look it up if you want. Um, and in the spiritual bond, Paul regarded himself as a partner with his friend Philemon. And he thanked God for the Philippian believers' partnership in the gospel. In Philippians 1, uh, 5, he said that. And in Galatians, when Paul went to Jerusalem to dispute with the legalists over the necessity for circumcision, he said, James, Cephas, and John accepted Barnabas and myself as partners. And he used that word. All right? The concept of fellowship as a spiritual partnership is just embedded throughout the New Testament. And I also want to say, just as a point of clarity, the word relationship, that when it's used in that way, it describes believers as a community. And then the word partnership, when this Greek word is used as partnership, it describes them as, as kind of principles of an enterprise, if you will. And, and so there's two different words the way, the way it interchanges. And so one is the relationship of the community of believers, and then the other is the, the principles of, of how you would build a business. By the way, 
You can't build a business if you don't trust the people you're working with. You see how that works? You don't get to build this Christian relationship if you don't trust the people that you're building this Christian relationship with. And so, so that's how they're interchangeable. A business partnership is formed in order to obtain an objective, like providing a service to the public for a profit for the partners. In the same way, this concept of a spiritual partnership implies that it's created with the objective of glorifying God. And just as all the believers are united together in a community relationship, we should all be united together in a partnership formed just to simply glorify God, to honor God, and to advance the gospel. Folks, God is glorified when we are committed to grow in Christ-likeness and when unbelievers are one into His kingdom. You see, biblical fellowship incorporates this idea of an active partnership in the promotion of the gospel and the building up of believers. It's why I say every Sunday it's time to go to win and commit to grow. So now that we have this firm grasp of what fellowship should look like, I have another question for you. According to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, what exactly does the breaking of bread mean? I started looking into this, and I found out there's, a, there's some key verses that I'm going to use, um, and they are Luke 24, 35. You can write these down if you want. I'll say them again. Oh, here they are. Uh, Luke 24, 35, Acts 2, 42, Acts 2, 46, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. I'm going to refer to these verses, but you'll have to look them up. Um, I started looking at these verses uh, concerning what breaking of bread means. And in doing that, and looking at it through the New Testament lens, is it simply referring to a common meal, or is it referring to the Lord's Supper? I began studying the last few weeks. I really got into what, what does this mean? And I discovered something, and I was, I was a little surprised. It's commonly denied that the breaking of bread in Acts 2.42, where it says to break bread, and in Acts 20, verse 7, they refer to the Lord's Supper. Other scholars deny that that's what that means. Now stay with me, because we're going to kind of circle the horn here, and we're going to come around to this. In Luke 24, verses 13 through 35, after his resurrection, Jesus traveled to a town called Emmaus, and he walked a road with some men, and then he sat with them, with his disciples, and he, broke, he took bread and broke it. And this is what Luke writes in Luke 24, verses 30 through 31. He said, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Up to this point, the people he was with did not realize he was Jesus, okay? And so he broke bread with them, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They later told the apostles how Jesus had been made known to them, in the breaking of bread. And verse 33 says, they rose at the same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11, that's the original 11 apostles, and those who were also gathered with them together. And they said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is obviously a common meal that they began to have with the Lord and the church because the church had not yet been established. Okay. Um, Matthew 26, verse 29, will tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom, the time when the Lord would be the host of his table. And now in Acts 2.42, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This verse summarizes the practice of the Christians after the establishment of the church. We need to see and understand the spiritual nature of things that the early church did as it was recorded in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the doctrine. 1 Timothy 1.3 makes reference to this. 
They, they were devoted to the fellowship. 1 John 1, 3-7, I shared that with you. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, Acts 20, verse 7, and to the prayers, Acts 12, verse 5. We're going to talk about that next week. Again, the Greek uses a definite article here in this verse. It's the word the. It, it makes the phrase to read the breaking of bread. It doesn't refer to just any bread. When, when, it, when it gets specific, when the Greek gets specific like that, it says the breaking of bread. We're talking about special bread. It's not just a meal, it's special bread. The verse is, is a reference to the Lord's Supper. All right? It describes the conduct of the Christians in Jerusalem in the early days of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They continued, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Do you see the difference? The first part was the teaching, the breaking of bread. And then down here it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. That's where we know there's two different things happening here. The breaking of bread is a communion remembrance and breaking bread in their homes is a meal because they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day indicates the frequency of these Christians getting together. Grammatically, it doesn't modify breaking bread, but, but there's nothing in the phrase breaking bread in their homes that indicates it's a church worship assembly. Yes, there are Christians gathered, and if they wanted to, they could pause and have communion and remember what Christ did. But, but what it's saying here is breaking bread is explained here as they're just they're eating a meal. And actually, Acts 2.46 in the King James Version says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. All right. Um, breaking of bread is also translated food in Acts 24, 17 and James 2, 15. All right. Acts 2, 46, I just shared with you, these verses refer to a common meal. But then we have Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says on the first day of the week. OK, see, there's a shift there on the first day of the week. That's today, by the way, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Some of you are thinking, whoo, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> this was a church assembly on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to worship. Their purpose for assembling was to, was to break bread. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, the Corinthian church was assembling together for the purpose of the Lord's Supper, but they were abusing it. They were taking it too far. They were, they were taking it to, to their own, they were back to some of that, those, those immature Christians like I was talking about. They were just kind of doing it selfishly and doing it wrong. And, and so they abused it. And he wrote that letter to correct him. And this is a, a reference to the Lord's Supper. Their assembly wasn't just that they decided to do in their local situation. The early church continued to follow the decrees. In Acts chapter 16, verses 4, four through 5, Timothy and Paul and Silas, okay? As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This, just a, this, this breaking of bread wasn't just a one-time thing. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 tells us, they continued to follow the apostles' teachings. And he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition or the teaching that you received from us. This is a divine example regarding worship on the first day of the week and observing the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing that we, pass, that we bless is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? 
The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Notice how this verse connects the communion, the breaking of bread and the Lord's table brings it all together as one. The very fact that Jesus took bread, broke it, and instituted the Lord's Supper is an undeniable fact. And so when I was looking at these verses and studying this, I shared the things I've shared with you today concerning the breaking of bread. How can we deny that it's, only used, it's not only used to refer to eating a common meal, but these words are also used to refer to taking the Lord's Supper? And so at this time in our fellowship, we're going to pause and we're going to spend some time in the breaking of bread. And we're going to do it a little bit differently today. Uh, I just want us to consider some things as we prepare ourselves to fellowship and worship in the breaking of bread. I want to encourage you to come before the Lord right now. I want you to think about um, what's going on. And, And as we prepare for this time of communion, of breaking of bread, I want you to be extremely intentional in your conversation with the Lord. I want you to to think about where you've been in the last few weeks and and kind of where you what you've done, where you're headed. I want to encourage you this morning. Come before the Lord right now. Be intentional, do it on purpose. Set aside distraction, set aside doubt, set aside fear, set aside whatever. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, this part of Paul's letter has always resonated with me. He reminds us of Jesus' betrayal. Of Judas handing him over to be arrested. It, it brings to mind also Peter's coming denial, which, which then brings to mind my own daily denials of Jesus. Even the little things that we do cause us to miss the mark. It's, it's sin. I want you to consider this last few weeks of your life. I want you to think about your own betrayals of Christ. Uh, no, we didn't. Maybe you didn't deny him. You didn't hand him over to the authorities. Sometimes our thoughts get away from us. Our actions speak louder than, than, the word, than, than our words do. And sometimes through our thoughts and our actions, we, we betray Christ. And maybe what you've written on social media this week denied Christ. You see, we confess Him with our lips and our words of worship on a Sunday. And, then, and, and we do that many weeks. And, and a lot of times we walk out of this place with no fellowship. And we deny Christ with our lifestyle. We deny Him with our actions. Think about those times for you. As you think about that, think about that small cracker that you're soon going to hold in your hand. Jesus says this is a reminder of his body. He's given his body at the final sacrifice for our sins. Verse 25 says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As you take this cup today, consider the gravity of what you will hold in your hand in that cup, in that cracker. Jesus' blood flowed. And because of his death on the cross, all those things that you were thinking about a moment ago have been forgiven when you ask. 
One last thing. As you take communion this morning, don't forget to celebrate. Celebrate that your sins are forgiven. Celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. Celebrate that he wanted us to live in fellowship with one another and in a state of remembrance of what he did for us. Simple, simple emblems. Bread and juice will soon be passed to remind us of the divine love that our Savior Jesus Christ has for us. This morning, as these small emblems are passed, we invite all believers to fellowship with our Lord and remember what He's done for us. And as you remember what He's done for us, ask for His mercy, ask for His grace, ask for His forgiveness. But also remember this. This is part of our fellowship with one another and with God. Dying, He destroyed our death. And rising from the grave, He restored our life. Until Christ returns, we will remember Him. And when we remember Him, that leads us to a continued place of worship. And our worship leads us to communion. And so this morning, as we come to our response time, and our response time this morning is very simply having communion with the Lord and with one another. As we come to our response time, that's how we're going to respond to Jesus' invitation. Remember Him. We're going to sing a song right now. As we finish singing our response song, the men will come forward, and I will pray, and we will remember. Will you sing this with us?